Welcome to the 50 Year Vegan series of podcasts. Based on the book by Jeff Francis, this is Spirit of the Game, Episode 2, read by Carol Royal. He and Joe began to wreck the place. Jamie watched for a moment before picking up the photograph. He looked at it briefly, then smashed it down, breaking the glass. Will grinned at him in approval. Amidst this, they barely heard Peter's triumphant voice coming from upstairs. Up here! I found it! Without caution, they all dashed upstairs to find Peter pulling two battered old cases out from under the bed. Oh, they're bloody heavy! Probably stuffed with notes, countered Will, with a newfound confidence in the mission. They're locked, I bet he's an old miser. Must be to live like this, thought Jamie. Joe, looking for more opportunity to destroy something, ventured, Oh, maybe we should pull up the floorboards! Will looked at him and nodded his head slowly in agreement. But before they got the chance, the barking of an old dog came from downstairs. As one, in a whispered chorus, they all agreed, Shit! Peter and Will grabbed the cases and ran. As they descended, the dog's barking intensified, but it was too old and arthritic to climb up the stairs on its own. Peter jumped over the dog easily and was out of the front door in a flash, followed by Joe. Will, who was in front of Jamie put the boot into the dog. No! shouted Jamie as the animal let out a chilling squeal of pain. The boys scattered as an old man came up the path as fast as he could, which was not fast at all. Joe and Will twisted him around and pushed him into a bush. Jamie paused. Looking back at the senseless dog, he was torn between helping it and escaping. He knew he couldn't afford any more trouble with the police, so he ran off. They had agreed in the event that they had to split up, to meet up on the waste ground. Will, Peter and Joe arrived well ahead of Jamie. When he arrived, they'd broken the cases open and the contents were being strewn everywhere. Will was incandescent. Look at this shit, this ain't fucking treasure. They turned on Peter. Your brother's a tosser, man. Jamie arrived breathless. He was seething. He made straight for Will and pushed him hard on the shoulder. Get off, will you? What's the matter with you? What did you have to do that for, you fuckwit? What? Jamie was pumping with adrenaline. The dog. Why did you have to kick the dog? It's only a dog. An old dog. It wasn't any threat. Oh, piss off. Piss off yourself. He glared at the others. In fact, piss off the lot of you. Will saw that Jamie was highly charged and thought better than to challenge him. He was still an unknown quantity and he was a sight quicker on his feet than Will. On top of that, he was mad. Come on, there's nothing worth having here anyway. He looked first at the content of the cases, then directly at Jamie, so as not to lose face as he walked away. When he was at a safe distance, he said loudly, A bloody dog! Next thing you know, he'll be worrying about that black bastard his mum's shacked up with. He deserved the kicking he got. Perhaps his little southern bastard needs one too! Will started chanting. The others joined in readily. Alan for England, England, England. No surrender, no surrender, no surrender to the IRA. Jamie took no notice and began to return the strewn contents into the cases. Carrying the two suitcases, he tentatively approached the open door of 10 Wegerton Street. He looked in. The old man was sitting at the foot of the stairs, stroking the head of the whimpering dog. At first, he didn't see Jamie. Jamie's voice was tremulous as he spoke. 
I saw some boys running away from here. They, they dropped these. Tom didn't look up, his attention fully on the dog. Oh, yes, thanks. Jamie put the cases down and came warily closer, scared of intruding, but wanting to see what damage Will had inflicted. Will he be okay? Don't know, son. It's just a matter of time, I guess. Uh, what about if we got a vet or something? Oh, it'll just cause him more pain if we move him. He's quite old, you see. Well, can't the vet come here, then? I haven't got a phone, and even if I did, I haven't got the money. James's voice was breaking, betraying his agitation. I got it! There's a thing my mum uses, re rescue something. She always gives it to me when I've been hurt. I'll get some. I I'll be back soon. He turned and ran out, full pelt towards his home. He was half glad to be physically free from the guilt of his involvement in the dog's suffering and equally glad to be able to express the physical need to do something positive about it. He returned, breathless, with a small brown dropper bottle in his hand. The dog was now propped on a cushion. Jamie offered the bottle to Tom, who was clearly uncertain. It's okay, it's just herbs and things and a bit of brandy. Hesitating for a moment or two, he finally decided to trust the boy. Now, go on then. Me? Oh, it's your stuff. Jamie gently dropped a couple of drops into the side of the dog's mouth. Laddie licked his lips, and for the first time the old man allowed himself to cast his eye over the damage the gang had caused. Jamie followed his gaze and suddenly felt very guilty. I'll help you tidy up if you want. Oh, it isn't your problem. Yes, it... I want to. A kitchen through here, is it? I'll get you a cup of tea, then we'll make a start, eh? OK, lad. As Jamie was about to put the photo of the two men in RAF uniform onto the mantelpiece, he stopped to look at it and the old man asked, Don't suppose you know who that is? It's you, isn't it? It is, but what about the other one? Jamie couldn't resist the sarcastic tone which entered his voice. It came with his age. Why, is he famous? He certainly is. Do you like football? Jamie nodded. Know much about it? A bit. I play for the district. Where? I'm a winger. Oh. A different role in those days, but that man was the greatest winger ever. What if I told you he was the oldest man to play for his country at 42? To win a cup winner's medal at 38 and didn't stop playing in the old first division, which is now the premiership, until he was 50. Oh, you're kidding me. My Uncle Terry's not that age and he can't run for a bus. <laughs> nah. Jamie thought again. Really? Then he was your friend? My friend, yes, and my boss. I was his driver. He went to one of the cases and opened it. I, I wasn't a footballer myself, but uh, of course I, I used to watch him play whenever I could. The whole world knew who Stanley Matthews was. Tom followed Jamie with his eyes, a possible respect forming, although he still didn't trust him. Will and Joe hung back as Peter rang on the bell to Jamie's flat. A window slid open and Carol, dressed in white therapist uniform, leaned out. Hello, Peter. Is Jamie in, Mrs McConey? 
no, sorry, I haven't seen him since this morning. Actually, I, I thought he was with you. Oh, thanks. Uh, sorry to hear about Mr. McConey. Um, sounds bad. Will nudge Joe. Reckon he'll need a lot of her witchcraft. Expect she knows about black magic, too. They sniggered at their own innuendo before they all ran off. Carol watched after them, genuinely surprised at their attitude. They didn't run far, deciding to hang out by some garages close to Jamie's place with the intention of ambushing him on his way home. As Jamie rounded the corner, Will grabbed him and pushed him against a wall. The others gathered round menacingly. You bastard! You've grassed us up to that old git, haven't you? No, I haven't. Don't lie. Peter saw you go back with the stuff and you've been gone ages. We know, because we've been to your house. Jamie cast a sharp glance to Peter, who lowered his gaze. Don't be stupid. If I'd grasped up at you, don't you think the police would have been round to see you all by now, especially with our reputation? Peter, swift to redeem the situation he had brought about, said, He's right, Will. Will was stumped. Pushing his face up close to Jamie's, he threatened, You better not be lying, because if I find you are, your life won't be worth a toss. You got that? He gestured with his fingers and slapped Jamie for good measure. Tom fed Laddie small tidbits by hand. He was so relieved to see the little mouth gently take them. You're feeling a bit better, boy. As he got up, a flicker of pain crossed his face. Oh, he steadied himself on the arm of the chair and rubbed at his heart. Oh, I might have a drop of that stuff myself. He picked up the bottle of rescue remedy Jamie had left and took a swig. Peter and Jamie were passing a ball between them. Peter was burning with curiosity. So why did you go back? I saw you and you had the cases. Yeah, so Will said. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. It's all right. Dunno, really. I just had to know if Laddie was all right. Laddie? The game stopped. The dog. Oh, right. But wh why did you take the stuff back? I just got the feeling that his whole life was in them cases. You saw his house, he didn't have anything worse shit. I suppose. But it was only newspaper cuttings, old stoke programmes and stuff. Exactly. Stuff he'd collected all his life. About this bloke called... Oh, shit. Can't think what he said his name was now. But anyhow, from what he told me, this bloke was really cool. Oh, you, you want to stop winding Will up? He thought you'd found something worth money in the cases. Will's a shit-stirring bastard. Come on, it's getting dark. I've got to get home. They left the waste ground where they'd been kicking about and started walking home along the canal path. So what's so cool about this bloke in the suitcase? Was he famous? Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but he won everything in football and not just when he was young, he was still playing when he was 50. No way. Straight up, that's what Tom said. Who's Tom? The old bloke. Oh, he's got to be having you on, or he's going senile. Oh, I don't think so. Well, that's the sort of stuff that was in the cases. Cuttings and things. Said he played for England when he was 42. Pure fantasy man. Even if it's half true, he must have been some sort of superhero. They crossed an iron bridge and started to climb towards the Britannia Stadium. In the near distance, Jamie saw three statues of a footballer. They stood eerily in the fading light as the boys approached them. 
something drew Jamie to check them out. Over there, those statues. They walked around the plinth. Jamie read the plaque. The three ages of Sir Stanley Matthews. That's him! As he looked up at the statue, the oldest age loomed over him, watching him, almost alive. It's only me, Mum. Jamie called up the stairs as he came through the door. He turned on the hall light and picked up a copy of the local evening paper lying on the doormat. On the front cover was a picture of Alan doing his famous salute on the pitch and a headline that read, Alan, England's weapon of mass destruction. That today's paper? He instinctively put the paper behind his back as he flashed back to Alan and his cronies pulling Amos out of the car. Unsure and uncomfortable, he called back, Nah, it's an old one Peter gave me. It's, it's got some stuff on Alan, that's all. OK, well, I'm back to the hospital. I, I, I've left you some dinner in the microwave. She kissed him on the cheek as she passed him on her way out. Jamie took his meal into the living room. Carol had left the TV on for him. The face on the screen was of the girl he had seen Alan and his teammate carrying off. She was wearing school uniform, and to Jamie, she looked younger than him. He turned up the volume. Local police are becoming anxious over the whereabouts of 15-year-old Jane Burtonshaw, who... He switched channels. Tom opened the door to Jamie. I wondered how Laddie was. He's improving. Would you like to see him? Jamie nodded and followed Tom into the sitting room. Laddie looked up from his place on the settee and wagged his tail. I was wondering if we'd see you again. Jamie didn't need to respond. He sat himself next to the dog and stroked his head. He did not raise his eyes to engage with Tom. After a while, he spoke. You know that stuff you were telling me about? Um, what's his name? Stan. Yeah, that's it, Stan. Yes. Well, was it really true? Well, why shouldn't it be? It's just I was telling one of my mates and he couldn't get his head around it all. I expect there are a lot of things your friends can't get their heads around. Jamie looked at him quizzically, uncertain of where this last remark was coming from. He paused. Well, is it all true? Tom was irked at this and answered impatiently. Of course it's true. Jamie waited, expecting him to continue. Could you tell me more? Yes. Again, Jamie waited for him to continue, but again he didn't. Jamie laughed nervously. Oh, OK, well, will you tell me more? Maybe. Please? You really want to know? I really want to know. A smile broke across the old man's face, highlighting the wonderful laughter lines around his eyes and mouth. OK. The old man got up went to the hallway and unhooked an old raincoat from the stairs. He put it on and pulled out an even older cap from the pocket. He gestured with it. Come on, then. Jamie got up, patting Laddie as he did. Tom spoke reassuringly to the dog. Won't be long, lad. There are things this lad needs to know. Where are we going, then? You'll see. Tom could not walk very fast or far. So Jamie had his first ride on a bus in years. Tom took a very logical start to the journey through Stan's life. 
First off, Jamie found himself staring at a plaque on the front of a neat terraced house in Seymour Street, Hanley. It read, Sir Stanley Matthews was born here, 1st of February 1915, footballer and gentleman. Tom read the words out loud with real pride in his voice. What's that about then, gentleman? Well, firstly, he was a gentleman. Soft, you mean? You think it was soft in those days, do you? How soft do you think you need to be to last at the top of your profession for 35 years? Jamie remained quiet. He was gentle in the way he dealt with people. He had time for everyone, and he remembered things about them, made them feel special. Well, he must have had a lot of time to waste then. He had integrity. Jamie shrugged. The word didn't compute for him. He acted on what he believed, played by the rules. And people gave him respect for that. Ugh. Ugh. Rules are for fools. Look at Alan. He doesn't bow to anyone, and look what he's got. You want to be like him? Doesn't everyone? It was Tom's turn to shrug. Not you. Not older people. Your time's gone. Thanks. You know what I mean. You've got to grab what you can now. Look what that's done to the world. Yeah, save the planet. I learned that stuff in school. But that's what older people have done. They've had theirs and we want ours. It won't work. The Earth's not big enough for the Allens with their 20 sports cars and all the rest. The old man had not come out and left his precious dog for an argument. He responded tetchily. Anyway, I thought you wanted to know about Stan. I do. Well, let's move on then, eh? They climbed the hill slowly, with the old man having to stop occasionally for breath. He led them through cobbled alleyways between back-to-back -back terraces, formed long before even he had been born. They turned a corner, and the space opened in front of them. Some grass with a large 1960s tower block, and in its shadow, a school which, according to the local authority sign, announced itself as St Luke's Primary School, but Tom identified it as having once been Wellington Road School. This is where Stan went to school. And this is where, at 11, he changed from centre-half to outside right. Come on. He led the way across the school playground to the door. He was the most perfectly balanced player of all time, and his sudden burst of speed, over 20 yards or so, was one of the delights of the game. <laughs> he chuckled at the memory. They called him the Wizard of Dribble. He stopped at the door, looking round for Jamie, then shuffled in, obviously a regular visitor. Jamie took a quick look around before following and was amazed to find himself in front of a stained glass window erected in memory of Stanley Matthews. Imagine being that loved, he said involuntarily. I don't need to imagine it. I saw it with my own eyes. They set off to find another bus. As it swung past King's Hall, Tom told him how 4,000 people had held a meeting there in 1938 to protest at Stanley's possible transfer. He meant that much to the town. The bus climbed up and out above the city and stopped just past a pub. They walked a short distance to a secluded, sky-blue house. This was Stan's last house. Sadly, Myla, Stan's second wife, died there from a sudden heart attack, and six months later, Stan was dead too. So, what did he die of? Stan, well, those who knew him best would tell you he died of a broken heart. 
Oh, she was a lovely girl, he remembered fondly. By the time they'd reached the old Victoria ground, Jamie had become fully engrossed in Tom's stories of Stan. Whatever plans there had been for redeveloping the site had long ago been abandoned, and it had become a wasteland. The only vestige of the glory days were the steps to the booth and end, the place where the real Stokies used to gather. As they both stared out across the ground, it seemed to Jamie that he had fused with the old man's memories, and he could hear the echoes of the bygone crowds chanting Stan's name. Hard to believe this was a football pitch, but it was. You know, Stoke were near the bottom of the second division when Stan went back to them in 1961. The team was transformed, and this old football ground's gates rose from 9,000 to 36,000. The following year they were promoted, and Stan scored the winning goal that took them up. Some boys were playing football in a makeshift goal made from bricks and a plank of wood. This is where Stan played his last game in professional football. It was a glorious night. The world came to his retirement party. The greatest players from more than one generation made it there. His voice breaking, he continued. I could see the tears in his eyes as they carried him off on their shoulders. The ball fell at Jamie's feet. He returned it, perfectly weighted, to land on the head of the boy who was standing at the pile of bricks which served as the far post. He nodded it down into the goal and signalled thumbs up to Jamie. I'll bet you couldn't do that again, Tom said. Jamie replied confidently and without a second thought, ah, I wouldn't if I were you. They both of them looked up towards the Britannia Stadium. Jamie could see how Tom's face had become pale and noticed him rubbing his chest. Oh, I, I think we should be getting back to Laddie. Back at Weggerton Street, Jamie set about making a mug of tea for them both and sat on the settee stroking Laddie. Tom sat on the other side of the fireplace in the only armchair. He seems a lot better. Fingers crossed, eh? He crossed his fingers. Jamie held his cross fingers up too. He didn't deserve what happened. That will's a bloody nutter. Jamie pulled himself up short, realising that he'd just given himself away. It's okay, son. You didn't think I'd recognise you when you brought the cases back, did you? Jamie looked down at his trainers. For the first time, he really was ashamed of himself. Have you ever had a dog of your own? No, we had a kitten once when I was about five. In London? Yes, it was run over not long after we got it. I, I don't really remember it. I, I remember I cried. Well, that's the thing, when a friend dies. Jamie hugged Laddie. You're not going to leave us now, are you, boy? Tom got up unsteadily and leaned on the mantelpiece. He started poking about in a pot. Have something here I want you to have. It might not seem much, but to me it's very special. Ah, here it is. He pulled a small round badge with a black and white image on it out of the jar. When people used to write to Stan, he would always reply personally, and with the reply he would send one of these badges, which he'd had made up. He handed the badge to Jamie, who was not impressed. Badges were not cool. Oh, um, thanks. About six weeks after Myla died, he asked me to take him to the airport. His daughter, Jean, and her husband, Bob, were taking him away for a break to Spain. 
He'd been sorting through stuff in the house and tucked in the corner of a drawer, he'd found this badge, the last one. I don't know why, but as we said goodbye at the airport, he pressed it into my hand. What, like a lucky charm or something? Maybe. And now I, I want you to have it. Jamie was uncertain. No, it's yours. It's special for you. I'd like you to have it. Stan had a fall when he was away. I collected him from the airport in a wheelchair. It was the last time I saw him. He died very soon afterwards. He couldn't be alone and apart from Myla, you see. He thought hard. So that little badge may not look special, but it really is. Please, keep it. Jamie was embarrassed. Oh, thanks, he said, and slipped the badge into his pocket. The gang sat in a crowd with St George flags draped over their shoulders. Jamie was proudly wearing an Allen England shirt. The crowd was singing the national anthem. As each verse ended, the boys chanted, No surrender! God save our gracious Queen, long live our noble Queen, God save the Queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us, God save the Queen. No surrender, O Lord our God, arise, scatter her enemies and make them fall. Confound their politics, frustrate their knavish tricks on thee, our hopes we fix, God save us all. No surrender, no surrender to the IRA. Most of the crowd who could hear looked at them with distaste, but some smiled in unspoken acquiescence. Jamie was in action on the pitch. On the touchline were Will's father and grandfather, both not shy in shouting their opinion of the ref's decisions. Peter's style didn't suit the heavy pitch. It was a little too delicate for this sort of game. Clogger Will was in his element, cheered on by his undiscerning relatives. Tom's pale face was being battered and reddened by the weather. He's good, Stan. Jamie had just left two defenders for dead and cut inside. Rough, ready and beer-bellied, the two generations of Will's sires were inciting the boys to mete out rough treatment to two Asian lads in the opposing team. This barely covert hatred soon became overt racial abuse. Responding to this, Will got himself red-carded for an elbow in the face. At this dismissal, the level of aggression rose. Jamie was by no means immune. Committing several fouls, he was lucky to only end up in the ref's overworked notebook. Threats of violence were made against the referee by grandfather and father alike. They followed this through by posturing towards the father and uncle of one of the Asian boys. When the two Sikhs stood up to them, father and son turned on each other in a handbags-at-ten-paces fashion. Then both chased Will and clouted him for good measure. Jamie, who knew he'd played well, emerged from the dressing rooms and walked towards Tom with a smile on his face. Well, what do you think? I'm impressed. And disappointed. You're too good a player to play like that. What do you mean? Think about it. Stan was never warned, never mind booked, in 35 years, despite lots of provocation. Jamie looked round. He saw the other boys with their fathers. 
I'm going to get a lift. Okay, son. Jamie ran off, looking back at Tom, who stared back at him, expressionless. Inside his van, Will's father passed around cans of beer to the boys. So, what's it like having a black man for a dad, eh? He's not my father. Well, he sleeps with your mum. He smirked at his father and winked. Reckon there's some witchcraft involved. Mind you, she's a bit of a witch herself, isn't she? Believes in potions and herbs. Yeah, but he's an animal, chipped in the grandfather, delighting in Jamie's visible discomfort. What? Oh, bet it's a noisy place, that bedroom of theirs. Getting carried away, Will's father started to indulge his own sad fantasies. Would be if I were there. Lovely piece of arse, that mum of yours. I'd give her one. What? Even after a black man's been there? Slurred the elder, drunkenly. Jamie cringed inwardly and sucked on his can. The flat was in darkness by the time Jamie returned, slightly the worse for wear. He looked down the corridor towards his mother's bedroom door, his mind befuddled and in utter confusion. He closed the door to his room, slumped on the bed and racked up the sound in his headphones. Tom searched payphone after payphone to find one which worked or didn't refuse to take anything but a credit card. As he made the call, his nostrils were assailed by a mixture of stale and fresh urine. Ah, Bob, I'd like someone to have a look at this boy. There's almost, well, something of Stan about him. What do you mean? Oh, I can't put my finger on it, but when you see him, you'll know what I mean. I can't do anything for the next few weeks. Oh, it needs to be sooner than that. Tom rubbed at his chest. I'll tell you what, I'll try to get Jimmy to catch one of his school games. How's that? Thanks, Bob. No, thank you, and listen, you take care, Tom. Jamie's face was about to collapse. He was fighting so hard to hold back the tears. Earth fell onto a coffin and a pious voice canted, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The wreath told the story. Tom was the one in the coffin. Jamie fondled the badge. He took it out from his pocket and looked at it from time to time. When the mourners had dispersed, a homely, middle-aged woman approached him. You must be Jamie. Jamie nodded, but dared not speak. He didn't want to cry. Dad told me all about you. Jamie wondered what the word all had included. He left some things he wanted you to have. His voice breaking, Jamie managed to extract the words, I, I don't want anything. The woman put a comforting hand on his shoulder. Please, come round to his house tomorrow, please. Jamie nodded. Twelve o'clock, you know the address. OK, and thanks for coming today. It would have meant a lot to him. He nodded again and turned away, wiping his nose on his sleeve. Tom's daughter watched as he walked out through the cemetery gates. By twelve o'clock, most of Tom's meagre possessions had gone. The two suitcases were sitting in the middle of the floor. The woman and a man of similar age were shifting the rest out into a beaten-up old van. On seeing Jamie, the woman stopped. Oh, he wanted you to have these. God knows what you'll do with them, but I guess he thought you'd appreciate it. Thanks. He picked up the cases and began to walk down the hall, then turned. The woman had resumed her cleaning. He watched her for a minute, before blurting out, 
What's going to happen to Laddie? Oh, he's coming with us, unless you want him. Really? Well, why not? We're both at work all day. You'd better ask your mum first, though. She pulled a pencil and paper from her bag and wrote down a phone number. This is my number. You can come and get him tomorrow if you like. Jamie rushed out. Hope was rising for the first time since he'd left London, but it was not to last long. Carol's voice was raised. For the last time, Jamie, we live in a flat. It's not right for a dog. Laddie will be much better off with Mr. Boothby's daughter. How do you know that? How do you know otherwise? Because she doesn't really want him. Her voice softened. Uh, I'll tell you what. When Amos gets out of hospital, we'll ask him what he thinks. Okay, Amos, what's it to do with him? Tom was my friend. Laddie's my friend. He could resist the tears no longer. What does he care about him? He cares about you. His kind don't care about anything except poncing off us. Jamie stormed out of the kitchen. Carol sat at the table, tears forming as she heard his bedroom door slam and the inevitable music put on at top volume. That was episode two of Spirit of the Game, read by Carol Royal, brought to you by Fifty Year Vegan Podcasts. Episode three is available now.